Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mobile Monger Podcast, where we go behind the scenes in the cheese world to chat with the people making, selling, or distributing your favorite specialty food products. I'm your host, Janae Muha, certified cheese professional, longtime cheesemonger, and producer advocate. Alexandra Jones may have informed your ideas on cheese more than you know. Her freelance food writing has graced the pages of Culture, Modern Farmer, Food and Wine, and so many other publications. But now she's taking her passionate prose to her own platform with the release of her newsletter, Milkfed. Get to know more about Alex in this episode as we explore her background and how those experiences inform the topics she wants to write about. Sandra Jones. I am a cheese writer and recovering cheesemonger. Um, I got into cheese because I moved to Philadelphia in 2008 and I needed a job and I applied at like a coffee shop. I had been a barista, didn't get that job. Um, and there was a Trader Joe's right on the trolley line. Uh, I love Trader Joe's since I was a kid. I grew up in California. My parents were big Trader Joe's fans. And this was when it was just starting to like come to the East Coast. And I went and I like, you have to be kind of cool to work at Trader Joe's or like, you know, it's not an easy job to get in like a big city or you didn't used to be. And I like charmed them by being like, oh yeah, I'm from Southern California from like the town that Trader Joe's is founded, whatever. So I work there and you can kind of graduate to managing a section, which really just means ordering and merchandising um, from their list. Like you're not a buyer per se. Um, and everything's cut off site. Um, so there's no cutting and wrapping, but I got to eventually like be the cheese section leader and do little demos for the staff and, set up samplings for customers and like find information, you know, to share with the staff. And so I was like, Oh, I like cheese. It's, it's a great food. I like eating it, but that's the first time I had something where I could say I do some kind of work in cheese. Um, then I was like, I'm sick of working here. <laughs> uh, I found um, a job at an urban farm in Philly called greens grow that used to have a CSA program that was like an aggregated box CSA uh, where they're not just providing fruits and vegetables from local farms, but there was, you know, eggs and tofu and yogurt, and there'd always be a cheese. And the previous two managers had been vegan. So all of the cheese when I got there uh, was like vac sealed, like pepperoni cheddar, baby Swiss, um, a couple nicer selections or like more interesting selections, but a lot of just like budget, um, you know, stuff that they hadn't put a lot of thought into. Pennsylvania's artisan cheese industry was kind of um, ascendant at that time. There were people doing a lot more interesting things. Uh, it's only about 20 years old since people have been doing stuff aside from that cheddar and Swiss. So I realized, and as I wrote about in the newsletter, I got to meet one of these artisan cheeses and it was like totally different. And that really changed my interest in cheese to something that I realized I could explore as a career. Sweet. Um, well, speaking of that uh, newsletter, you just released your first one that you've been working on for a while. Um, what led you to the newsletter and what, like, what are we going to see in that? Sure. So pre-pandemic, um, I was talking to a dairy farmer, I think at an event, and I was like, I want to do a podcast. I want to do a something. I want to like, you know, put out content that's not the same content that a lot of the cheese content that we see is, which is about usage and pairings and sexy cheese poles and like beautiful boards and all that kind of stuff which is great and is definitely the vernacular of a lot of the marketing work that I do um and is fun and and appeals to consumers um but doesn't always take like a full context holistic look at these foods in the way that a lot of other foods have been examined so 
I knew I wanted to do something. The pandemic happened. Um, I think a lot of people, when they found themselves in that combination of I'm stuck, but also freaking out <laughs> um, for various reasons, were like, let me find a hobby. Let me, you know, start posting about this thing. Let me, let me do something else. And I was like, I'm going to do this newsletter. And then I, for a variety of life reasons, like did not actually do it for like almost three years. So uh, I finally like made a goal for myself. I hired an amazing illustrator, also a recovering cheesemonger, uh, Malachi Egan, uh, to like create a logo. And I was like, okay, I spent some money on a logo. Like I have to follow through. And I was like, I'll do it in January, 2023. And so that first little introductory essay, which is very personal. I don't do a lot of personal writing, trying to do more. That just went out. Um, so what you're going to see is some of those meditative essays that are just my observations and opinions, which, you know, can feel weird to share sometimes. Um, and I hope to also do some like little more reported stuff. Uh, I have like a whole, like a multi-part series about skim milk and all of these different aspects of it uh, that I've read about. Like it ties into the conservation movement um, and like clean waterways, diet culture, um, you know, from mid-century to the 90s, uh, school food, like culture war, milk choice stuff. Um, there's just a lot to unpack with a lot of these products and even understanding why we have skim milk in the first place um, has to do a lot with uh, how farming systems changed, the rise of marketing milk as like a product that wasn't just sort of this given that you got from the farm nearby. Um, you know, I want to do some interviews, maybe even have like an audio component at some point. So I think if that sounds at all like anything anyone is interested in, they should just subscribe. It's free um, and see what you think. I'll have all of the information in the show notes to link to that because it the first one I'm already blown away and I'm really excited about all of these topics that you're that you're bringing to the forefront and that's the great thing is that there is so much room I think in the cheese world to talk about different things whereas like I feel like I am the person who's trying to introduce people to like all of the other people that are in the industry and what everybody's doing um, and then, you know, cutting the curd has been the industry standard for so long in podcasting. And now like Trevor, uh, Milk Trucker, he's got his Substack going and there's just so many new avenues. And I think that there's so much, so many more avenues to explore. Absolutely. And I should probably say the name of it. It's called MilkFed, milkfed.substack.com um, before I forget. Yeah, I think it's it's I've also gone really hard on like cheese Instagram. Um, for a while I worked at a magazine and did a lot of restaurant reporting and I would just follow like every single restaurant in the region, every chef, like even if they had like nothing on their, on their gram or it was just picture of their kids. Cause every once in a while that would like pay off as like a story announcement or, you know, like, like early news about a project opening. And I definitely have had to like declutter my feed since I don't write about restaurants as much, but now I'm cluttering it back with like all kinds of cool mongers all over the place and, you know, doing some fun personal branding for themselves and, and putting out, um, you know, their viewpoints on these things, which is fun. Yeah. Let's get in depth about your writing career though, because I want to know more about that and how you um, got into it, what your background is in writing and also like how you uh, make money off of it, to be honest, because we live in a <laughs> capitalistic system that that is a thing that needs to happen. So um, yeah. yeah, talk about that. So the sort of world of, of grocery, of food retail um, brought me into that nonprofit world. Um, at first, I was like in a sort of assistant level uh, CSA, you know, assistant. And part of my job was writing the newsletter uh, I had always been a writer. I majored in tuba performance in college, but I also <laughs> worked for my student newspaper because my college did not have a journalism program. Um, so like 
I never was like, I'm going to be a writer one day. I was always like, I know it's dumb to want to be a writer one day because it will never make any money. But then I majored in tuber performance. So like, I don't know. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. But um, that nonprofit work, you know, I was able to use my writing skills. My next job was as a buyer for an all local grocery store, also now defunct called the Fair Food Farm Stand. And it was a really, you know, um, small nonprofit uh, disease where everyone has like 10 jobs and is constantly overworked and underpaid. But I ended up doing a lot of communications work uh, as well, like newsletter, social media. And so I always had been doing that. Um, and when I got suddenly laid off from that job, uh, where I also got to manage an all local cheese case, which was so cool. I wish we still had that part. Um, I was like, I have no money. I have no savings. I lost this job, but I know a lot of people that I had met through these jobs, like chefs, farmers, um, like other nonprofit folks. So I was able to cobble together, like I'm, you know, helping this person pack sausage and selling their meat at farmer's markets. I'm doing the collective creamery cheese share. Like we launched that in the wake of my layoff. Um, and like I cooked for a couple months for like a healthy meal delivery company, just like chopping vegetables, like all these random jobs. And I was like, I guess there's nothing else I can do, but but try to do this writing. And I did some blogging for a great food blogger here. Like it was like hugely helpful to me. Marisa McClellan, Food and Jars, great preserving blog, taught me so much about jamming and canning and all that good stuff. Um, some like random little things, writing for my edible. I had done a couple of stories for Edible Philly and for like another local sort of sustainability magazine called Grid uh, in Philly and tried to do that more. I got paid like garbage. <laughs> uh, I was working like seven days a week at one point and just like barely treading water. And I was like, I want to die. This sucks. And when it came to my, like it came a, an opportunity to work for Philadelphia Magazine doing their restaurant reporting, also for not a lot of money, but like more consistent, more regular hours, still part-time. I took them up on that. And so all of a sudden I was a restaurant reporter, like banging out three to four blog posts a day in a four hour shift uh, about like this place opened and this one has a new menu and here's this event. And like, here's a roundup of all the pizza places in Philly. I did that for a couple years. Um, when it became clear, I like wasn't going to have a career in magazines for a variety of reasons. Um, I also, this is now fast forward to like summer 2019. I was on vacation with my family in Nova Scotia and I got an email from Cork Books, which is a local publisher, but they publish like a lot of very quirky um, and very like viral books. Like they published Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which about Mr. Rogers. They published Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and um, the Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook, kind of some of these Urban Outfitters like front table books, but you know, that are, they're actually good. And they have a little series called Stuff You Should Know, Stuff You Should Know, uh, that are these tiny little pocket books. And there's one for like all kinds of different topics. There's one about coffee and one about beer. Uh, and there's one about cheese that they got me to write. And that's thanks to, you know, people in people in Philly referring them to me as like a great person to do that, um, which I always appreciate. So I wrote this little book in like two weeks because I was so busy with like my, you know, winding down the magazine job and other freelance work that I had started doing Um largely supported by like some writing Facebook groups I was in, um, just like scouring for opportunities, trying to figure it out from scratch. And that was really helpful. It didn't come out until fall 2020. Um, the world was very different by then. <laughs> um, but it was still exciting to have a book with my name on it out. And uh, I posted about that book in Cheesemonger Gossip and Support and Molly Brown from DFW found me um, to help 
write and edit their cheese field guide and then also create some content for cheese state university which they just launched at winter fancy food last week so that like really solidified me in the cheese niche like the book but also this project with dfw that was so fun uh and really fulfilling it's like it you know it took a long time to get it out in the world um but i also got to do a ton of research for it in addition to seeing like all of the research that they had already compiled and i learned a lot in the process um monger should definitely check it out uh, it's a great refresher or intro, depending on where you are in your career. So that is to say, I like very haphazardly piece it together. Like there's a lot of people, there's a lot of media layoffs actually this week, uh, it's last big. week, really terrible, pointless, stupid corporate BS, unfortunately, like constantly happening. And a lot when that happens, a lot of people who have been freelancing for a while, they're like, you know, here's here's how to freelance. I definitely was able to, you know, I, I had to learn stuff kind of on my own. There were definitely some great resources, um, like some of these Facebook groups or other relationships with writers that I had that helped me. But a lot of it, like, unless if, if you were on staff somewhere, then like you kind of have some cred and you could be like, look at all the stuff I wrote. But if you're like starting from scratch, it's definitely a don't quit your day job scenario. Like start doing some freelance writing on the side or like do a newsletter, do like some really long Instagram captions, like something like that um, to kind of be able to prove yourself if you want to do that. Yeah, that's, uh, it's been definitely a big tough week for a lot of layoffs across the board. So it's, uh, you know, capitalism keeps capitalizing and we're uh, all just out here trying to figure it out because, I don't know, it sounds like um, in a lot of ways, the connections that you've been able to make is what has helped propel you. And I feel that very strongly too, after I left the grocery store cheese counter like I've been able to kind of keep myself afloat from random opportunities that just kind of get thrown my way and that's you know it's a community that's the best part about it <laughs> yeah and and I was lucky when I did have my layoff to have known so many people and to be known as a person who knew a lot of people or like if someone had a question about like where can I buy this kind of vegetable like do you know who might grow it or like have you seen anyone selling this and it's it sucks because like a person can't like make that happen if they don't already have it I was lucky to have it and it came in handy it's kind of like a seed that you sow you don't know when it's gonna bloom or whatever uh, grow um but like if you do enough of that networking and also like once you're freelancing or you know which is really like being a small business, like being self-employed. Once you have that as like part of your regular routine, which I'm actually trying to like build that into my routine right now. Um, Cause I have room for a couple clients, cheese folks, if you need some content, like hit me up. Um, but they will pay off in these unexpected ways in the future. You just can't, <laughs> when you're like, I have no money coming in. Like I want to magic something into existence you have to wait, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> That's the hardest part mm -hmm. <laughs> of being like, oh, I'm looking through Indeed at all of these cheesemonger positions, but they're all at like Safeway and like places I know I don't want to work and can't like mentally work there anymore. So, but then something comes along and I'm like, okay, we're good. We're good. Calm down. <laughs> it's not for the yeah. week. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, I did retail for like, I guess like eight years. Part part of that, I was mostly in the office, but like, it's, I mean, I sit, I sit for a living now. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I use the brain that makes you tired. There's a lot of thought that goes into things, but I'm like pushing 40 and I, I'm so glad that I'm not like depending on my body to to carry me around as part of my job. Um, Cause I was like schlepping like 50 pound boxes of potatoes on gravel, like outdoors in like 95 degree weather. Like I could not do it today. I could barely do it then. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going that with that. It's just everyone who works on their feet, who deals with people for a living, like we salute you. Absolutely. 100%. (laughs) Um, So it's been uh, thrown out there a little bit in our conversation so far, but Collective Creamery, can you talk to me about that and what that is and how people can find out more? Yeah. So um, I mentioned them in the first newsletter that just came out. Sue Miller and Stephanie Angstadt have definitely been like my um, uh, cheese rocks, my BFFs in cheese. And literally, I think Sue was the second or first, like a- after my therapist, <laughs> Sue was the first person I called when I was like, I got laid off. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to the bar, you know? Um And like she and Steph, who we like had all become friends, Steph was in the earlier years, like maybe had only been doing her creamery for a couple years. Sue was a lot more established, Um, both amazing cheesemakers in Southeast PA, about an hour, hour and a half outside Philly. Um, They were like, we want to do some kind of project. And we had this meeting Steph's operation is at this beautiful farm in Berks County. Uh, And we like sat on the porch of the farmhouse and like, we're like, we could do wedding cheese towers or we could have a truck that drives around and sells cheese, but not grilled cheese sandwiches. Cause like, that's not cool, you know? And we were like, what if we just did some kind of CSA that like has both of their cheeses? And that was in 2016. We launched it in fall 2016. Um, and it grew a lot. Uh, we had a nice little customer base. Um, we had something like 12 pickup sites uh in like kind of on Steph's delivery route so like Berks County where Valley Milk House is and then Chester County where um Birch Run Hills Farm Sue's farm is and then all around Philly uh and kind of some of the the more the neighborhoods that have like you know more of a food scene and we had a big pandemic boom as a bunch of CSAs and subscriptions did which was awesome And then we had a pandemic contraction, (laughs) Uh, as I know a bunch of CSAs and maybe subscriptions too are also dealing with as people like adjust to the constantly changing scenarios that we're living through. Um, And and yeah, it's still going strong. Uh, It's four cheeses every month. We used to do it every two weeks and I have no idea how we like manage that, but we finally streamlined it to once a month. Four cheeses, about two pounds. And it's a nice mix of both Sue and Steph's cheeses. Sometimes we bring in a guest cheese from around the region or like a little bit outside our region. Like we like to pull some good stuff from Vermont and New York. I think we've gone as far west as Ohio and as far south as Virginia. Um, You know, wanting to include cheese from, from friends that we've made at like ACS or other folks that we admire. And... I, I do the newsletter. I do all the spreadsheeting and member communications and stuff like that. And Sue and Steph like break off a bit of their amazing cheese every month and we send out those boxes. And that's kind of the way that I'm still connected to mongering today. Or like, even though I don't touch the food, I'm like, okay, the food distribution is happening when that used to be like my everyday all the time. It's kind of nice to still be able to have that connection. Right. I get fortunate enough, usually around the holidays, that um, one of the distributors will pay for me to go help out in the stores. And it's really nice that my two weeks out of the year that I just get to go flex my monger muscles and cut a wheel of parm and a bunch of Gruyere for the holidays. So (laughs) that's always a fun thing to do to keep me keep me in there just a little bit. Make sure those skills are uh, still tight. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've been lucky since the pandemic that like my job did not require leaving the house for the most part. Or if it did, I was like, I used to do a lot of in-person classes. I did like cheese and cocktail pairings. Uh, I did cheese making like, you know, um, quick set mozzarella and chev and stuff like that uh, at a couple places around here pretty regularly. And I did a couple Zoom classes. I did some virtual tastings for a couple different people throughout the pandemic, but I've been very reticent to like resume, um, anything in person, but I think I'm doing a, I forget the exact, it's late March. Um, I'm going to do an in-person class with Philly cheese school because I'm so excited about, uh, Julia's project. Um, 
it's been amazing to watch it happen. I took one of her virtual tastings, like just like my own private virtual tasting one time. Cause I was like, I want to see what she's doing. Uh, this is a couple of years ago now during, you know, lockdown and it was so fun. Uh, I love her like really playful approach to teaching a lot of cheese basics and tastings and stuff. And we're going to do like a cheese history tasting. Um, and if you're in Philly, I mean, there's like 16 spots. So, you know, go, go get one of those. I think it's up on the website now, phillycheeseschool.com. Amazing. Uh, so Cl- Collective Creamery, is that available nationwide or is it just in the area? You know, it's also very regional. We like dabble pre-pandemic. We dabbled in like trying to ship. And I think we had like 12 boxes a month to ship. And it somehow (laughs) was not, uh, did not go as smoothly as we had hoped. Pandemic happens. Everybody has to level up and start shipping and selling online. So I think Steph for a while and then she stopped. But Sue still has a strong nationwide shipping. She did a lot of virtual tastings for like corporate clients as well. Um, I know that she still offers it and we've talked about it. We've been like, you know, the way to really scale would be to do this. But like, that's that's just a whole nother level of yep. shipping capacity. Right. And I don't know any producer who prefers that i mean maybe at a at a big scale if like that's your operation you're and you get like the great fedex rates or whatever you're like boom 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 it makes sense for us but if you're small and you're doing like five farmers markets a week and csa shares because we we also they provide cheese to like as like add-ons for like produce farm csas too it's not just our little program uh it's a lot and you know uh we would really have to like change change operations and then there's the problem of the waste and having to charge so much for the shipping and like at some point you're getting away from like the the price point that we want to be shooting for and you know it it's like we're we have more of a presence regionally than we do nationally um i have dreamed of some kind of i guess not quite like a victory cheese box but like a pennsylvania box cuz we don't have like a big overarching infrastructure um distributing and branding pennsylvania cheese that like some other states have and something like that would be really cool um but that's that's a dream <laughs> dream big right mm-hmm. <laughs> i just didn't want anybody to uh go and than to be disappointed because they couldn't get it in their area. So regional area, if you're in the Philly area, then definitely. And South Jersey. We have a a pickup in South Jersey at a great wine store. So then this is definitely for you. Go check it out. Um, So the, I've been watching your journey on Instagram over the last like year or so, and you've kind of had this nomadic lifestyle. And I would love to hear more about that and how, what was the, impetus for that and how did you manage um just being on like constantly moving nomad sure so my husband and i lived in an apartment and it's the second time this has happened to us in you know 10 10 years of living together um where someone was like we're selling the building you have to move they're jacking up the rent we're gonna tear it up and fix it you know finally fix it make it nice uh, after you leave. So that happened again. Uh, and it, we had a lot of notice, but it was like 20 winter of 2020, 2021. And like, I remember a guy came in to like take a video of the apartment and like the realtor was there and like pulled his mask down to, to introduce himself. And I like had a panic attack. I was like, out. um, anyway, <laughs> what happened is, yeah, we were like, they were like, you could, you can just pay 250 more dollars a month to stay in your apartment. Uh, (laughs) or, and like, you'll still have to move next year. I'll be working on the upstairs and making noise, or we could move to another apartment in Philly. I was definitely feeling the, like, I need to like, just like steal away in the night and like start over in a new place with a new name, like kind of cabin fever of the pandemic. Um, super depressing time uh especially that first winter 
And so I talked to my husband and then, then I had this idea where I was like, and, and it was one of those times when you really, you like feel yourself have a different reaction. I had this idea of like, you know, we haven't seen our families in a couple years now. I don't want to just go visit them for like a week. And like, that's like, we don't want to go on a plane, all of that stuff. And I was like, what if we just moved and like didn't live anywhere? <laughs> and like, you know, we had some family on the West Coast that we could stay with and my family in North Carolina that we could stay with. Um, and in Vermont also some family there. And we were just like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and so, um, you know, still working full time. Which, you know, the nice thing about being self-employed, like the 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 counterbalance to, you know, the feast or famine kind of cycles, having to buy your own stupidly expensive insurance, um, you know, some of that instability or uncertainty is that you can like, you can be like, yeah, I can plan for myself to take two weeks and drive across the country because I'm the boss and I can make it work with my schedule. So we did that and uh, stayed at my grandma's house for about six weeks. Then we drove um, up the Eastern Sierras, uh, which was really amazing. I love, I, I'm, I was born in California, but we left when I was like five or 10, nine, something like that. So I didn't get to like experience a lot of like the coolest things about it. Um, we drove up to Seattle area where we spent winter of 2021 and you and I were supposed to get together because we were, I was really close to Cherry Valley Dairy, like not even 10 minutes Yeah, you away. were like a half an hour away from me. Or so. something. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. very close. And then it was like, oh, Macron. So we didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, like that was wild. We were in a house with like a four-year-old and an 18-month-old and like... <laughs> I did all the cooking. I was like, that's my way of helping. And it was, yeah, it's like very different lifestyle um, than our childless, like do whatever we want lifestyle. Um, we drove back down the coast last February, at the beginning of February. Um, and, you know, we got to camp at Joshua Tree. We went to the Salton Sea, which just Google it. It is one of the wildest, eeriest places on earth that I've ever been. Um for a lot of reasons, but it was also really cool. And then we were just like, we're not ready to go back to the East coast yet. Um, let's find like a cheap Airbnb because the key to affording this travel was like mixing in a good amount of camping, which can be like really cheap, like five, 10, $15 a night. Um, having family to stay with, obviously huge bonus. Um, but then monthly Airbnbs can actually be like really comparable to paying rent in like a not super expensive city like philly plus all the stuff is included bills and whatever so uh we found a place called truth or consequences new mexico where my husband had been when he road tripped across the country after graduating high school it's like an artsy tiny town that's like two hours south of albuquerque it's like an hour from the nearest cvs um it's one of the coolest places I've ever been. And it has tons and tons of hot springs. So you can pay five or $10 and soak in this hot mineral spring water. And we found this great spot that had its own little soaking tub in the back. It was like warm. That was more warm than hot, but um, super cute. Everyone was super nice and friendly. Incredibly gorgeous mountains, like right there. New Mexico has like three days of rain a year or something. So even in you know, late winter, uh, it's like a really popular time to go because it roasts in the summer, it's cold in the winter, tons of people RVing. So there's just like lots of travelers come through and we were there for like six weeks and we loved it. We camped in the Gila. That was amazing. Like New Mexico, definitely the hidden gem of the trip. More people should go there, but don't make it expensive or overrun it. Like it's really awesome. Um, then we drove back to the East coast state of North Carolina. And then we spent this past summer 22, uh, for a couple months in Vermont. And it was amazing to like connect with some Vermont cheese folks. Um, my husband's family is from there and actually used to be dairy farmers in Addison County. 
uh, his uncle sold, like, he's like, I sold, you know, the milking equipment to Jasper Hill, like however many years ago or something. <laughs> um, and got to go to the Vermont cheese summit, which was awesome. And just be in that beautiful place. We were actually trying to move there, but they like, we, we couldn't find a place to rent. Like they, their Vermont's housing crisis is like very significant, like more so than a lot of other places because there's not so much stock. So we ended up getting lucky um, and kind of came back to Philly. Like we had some friends who were moving and they own a house and they needed someone to rent it. And so now we're back in Philly and like, you know, I'm going to Target all the time because you need all of those things to live like dish drainers and I don't know, building your, building your life essentially. <laughs> yeah. And we, yeah, we got rid of a lot of stuff. So I'm cruising the free groups, the Facebook marketplace, like buy nothing, et cetera. Like a lot, like later I, today, I'm going to go get a spice grinder from somebody. So that's nice. <laughs> nice to be in one place after doing that big trip. And I had never done like my husband, uh, he used to be a Guinea pig, like in his twenties, like he didn't really have a real job at that time. And so he would get a bunch of money from like doing a medical study and then like go bum around Europe for however many weeks or months or whatever. I never got to do stuff like that. I never got to take a big road trip. So um, it was kind of like a, not a midlife, I don't know, midlife. Hopefully this is not the middle of my life. I don't know. But um, it was nice to be able to experience something like that, even at my, you know, big age. <laughs> I think it's even better because I did some traveling when I was younger. I hitchhiked around the country for a couple of years at oh, wow. 20. And, uh, you know, I would never travel that way again now that I'm 45. <laughs> That's not uh, not the lifestyle. Um, but I also took my own road trip last year and drove down to go see Alice Birchinoff in Alabama from Seattle. And that was, you know, I still love just long drives new places, just changing my environment entirely every now and again. It's a good scrambles the brain just enough to put it back together again. <laughs> yeah. And I, like, the thing is, I was, I was like, I can't, people are like, are you going to farms? Are you going to like visit some cheesemakers? And I was like, this is not about that. This is like about me, like <laughs> reconciling with my existence or something. And just like, like doing this, I would love to do like a solo road trip doing a bunch of creamery visits or something like that. Um, or like, I was like, should I go to ACS in Des Moines? <laughs> is it worth going to Iowa? But yes, like, I can yes, see my it is. Chicago. Okay. I'm just going to uh, say it right now. Cause we were in Des Moines, what, six years ago. And it was still to this day, one of my favorite conferences. Okay. Okay. We got to go to La Quercia, go down the ham hallway and like, we had a big party out at Maytag because they weren't making cheese then. Um, so they just had, they just opened it up to us and like their employees just made us a bunch of food and they had a dunk tank. So we played dunk the cheese maker and it was so <laughs> much fun. Um, yeah, I just had a really good time in Des Moines and I'm excited because I felt like we were a little bit too early because Des Moines was doing a lot of construction in the downtown area. So maybe by now it's all kind of evened itself out and, It'll even be even better. So yeah, I'm still on the fence about that because I know it's going to come back to the East Coast in 2024, right? Like that's how it usually goes. So I'm like, maybe I'll wait, but that's a long time. So um, I've wanted to take the CCP. I thought about doing it in 2020 and I was like, my brain is too scrambled. Like I did do a practice test and I think I got about half the questions right. I was like, oh man, this is bad. But the funny thing is, like, people have told me, they're like, I used your book to study for the CCP. And it's like, I don't have a CCP, but, like, I guess I'm still qualified to, like, make educational materials. Um, I don't I know. I would say, Maybe yeah, you really definitely matter. are <laughs> qualified. Uh, even a comment earlier saying you solidifying yourself in the cheese niche. And I'm like, you've been here. Like, this isn't new. But now I think you're just more known I guess in that realm yeah and I'm you know I still write about a lot of other things um I love to write a lot about agriculture um I have a story about uh livestock breeding that's coming out in culture this spring that I'm really excited about it's like that's a big topic that there's so much to discuss but we found some farms doing some really cool stuff um 
I still like to write about restaurants, you know, from a more informed and holistic perspective versus just from that consumer perspective. Uh, I did some writing about like, um, like during COVID, like vaccine mandates for restaurants, like how, how young we were, how naive, um, the, the restaurant labor, quote unquote, labor shortage, things like that. Some supply chain writing, um, on like commodity grains, which is really fascinating, um, while also being kind of dry and just like this whole world unto itself of like jargon and numbers that I don't always understand, but, um, really interesting. Well, I think all of those things are still within the cheese realm though, but in different aspects and like, I love learning about all of that random stuff because I don't know any of it from being a monger behind the counter. My experience has definitely been to sell more to the consumer and that language around it. But there's so much behind that, that, you know, the consumer doesn't see at all that even mongers most of the time don't see. So it's all very important. All conversations needed to be had. And, you know, I think because I've never, like, I didn't start out at a Whole Foods or a DeBruno or like Wegmans or something like a conventional or, you know, independent cheese shop counter, because I came to cheese from like local sustainable, there's always more of that. I mean, there's, there's plenty of like consumer greenwashing, like maybe some not, um, not totally helpful information that gets put out there to sell those products for sure. But uh, there's always this idea of storytelling and where did it come from and how was it made? And that there are these other, these other aspects of the product aside from just what you're going to do with it when you get it home. Yeah. And there, there's so many pieces of it that it takes to even get that product to your plate at home like there's just so many pieces of it that people don't see like yeah you need to talk about grain to get that cheese on your plate like that's just part of it <laughs> it's totally totally i remember one time this was years ago i was at uh dtla cheese in los angeles and i noticed that they had some parish hill or maybe i like they had something about parish hill and i was like oh wow like how do you get their stuff? And it's like, oh yeah, we have to wait until we fill a pallet like that can have their stuff put on it from whatever distributor. And I'm like, oh, right. Like they don't just have the guy bringing a cooler (laughs) every Wednesday (laughs) or whatever, uh, where I could like just drive over there in a couple hours or call them up. Um, Cause that's just how we got most of our product. And it's like, yeah, this is a much, a much bigger thing than the little slice that I've seen. Yeah. Um, all right. Are you ready for some quick action questions? Yeah. All right. First one, current cheese crush. Current cheese crush. Uh, well, I can tell you that after eating a full dinner, I mean, it was like a little piece of fish and some rice and some like carrots or something from a meal kit box that my husband made. He did a great job. Um So not a hugely substantial dinner. I immediately went to my fridge and I pulled out uh, a log of Valley Milk House's roasted shiitake mushroom fromage blanc. Her fromage blanc is called Clover. Usually she sells it in a little paper tub. She used to roll logs and wrap those in cheese paper and sell them. Um, And she's, you know, adorned them with all, you know, local herb blends, lavender, um, chamomile. She loves using chamomile. It's incredible on like soft ripened cheeses. And one time a couple of years ago, she got some dried mushroom powder from a mushroom farm. And it had been quite a while, like several years since we put that in the cheese share. And I was like, Steph, you got to You got to do it. And finally, she was like, yes, I can do it. It's one of my favorite cheeses that she makes. It's incredible. Um, the mix that she had this time was dried shiitake and, or roasted dried shiitake and oyster from actually a guy who helps her out at the creamery who also grows mushrooms. And it's just like super umami, super dank against this incredibly like rich, beautiful winter milk that she gets uh, from her farm partner. And I ate like half of it with Triscuits. <laughs> <laughs> I like this specifically with Triscuits. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause that sounds like a perfect 
Perfect bite. Um, and speaking of which, what is your favorite pairing? I like putting chili crisp on washed rinds, like a softy washed rind. And I know that that's like, ah, overshadows the cheese, but like, I don't think so. I think it's a really nice combination of like rich, creamy, funky, buttery, flavorful from the cheese. I'm thinking of Bertrand Hill's Red Cat, um, which is like a lovely little, I think she usually makes a one pound wheel um you know beautiful dappled orange and white on the rind uh I guess you could do it with like a telegio but maybe something something local is good uh or domestic um and then yeah just like some basic chili crisp or the fly by Jing chili crisp is really good um that's one favorite because I know we want to we want the subtle aspects of, of the cheeses that we pair to not be overshadowed, but I think big flavors when you're pairing or big flavors on a cheese board, like with the right cheese, it's really great. I, I'm going to have to try that because we just got some chili crisp and I happen to have some leftover foxglove from Ooh. Tulip Tree. And so um, that might be... I- yeah, I bet good. if you melted it on some toast and then put it on top, it would be even more delicious. Yeah, I was uh I'm currently in a couple of photography classes, a um Photoshop and then a studio lighting class. Um Ooh. and so I had to do a, some studio lighting, so I bought some foxglove to take photos of and when I was taking photos of them, I was like, "Why does it smell like french fries in here?" I'm like, "Oh, the cheese." oddly smells like french fries at room temperature right now so um and french fries with chili crisps sounds pretty amazing so into it i'll have to try that out (laughs) um what is your best cheese memory or food memory in general not necessarily something Um, you've eaten but maybe just a time and a place Yeah. I mean, I could probably hone in on several. I wrote about the first time I broke down a real artisan cheese in the newsletter. So you can read me wax lyrical about that. Um, I would probably say like one that that's easy to go to is uh, my mom's family is from Quebec, like right over the border, kind of on the way to Montreal. And um they it's you know very french canadian there they're they're anglo but um there's a swiss cheesemaker like guy from switzerland sets up us you know making his swiss cheeses with canadian milk like in the town you know two towns down from where my mom grew up uh she has a really huge family she has 10 brothers and sisters so they're all over there and it's just like a thing like everyone does raclette there i thought it was like a a French Canadian thing but they're like no like we didn't do this growing up we didn't do we did this when when Fritz Kaiser opened uh whatever that was you know decades ago now um and they just have a really incredible case they make a lot of great cheese they're pretty big like they sell into Costco and stuff but you can go to their little store one of my cousins actually married into the family and like manages their retail now um, but that meant that we always had raclette for the holidays. Like we would go up there, you know, I grew up in California and then North Carolina, where there's not a lot of snow, if any. Um, and we would go visit for Christmas. Uh, you know, we didn't do really any travel except visiting Quebec for Christmas or, or summertime. And one of my aunts would always bust out the raclette machine either on, I forget if it was Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. But I had like never experienced that kind of, I guess you would call it a food way or like a ritual around a specific cheese. You know, they don't sell anything like raclette at Food Lion, (laughs) Um, you know, the grocery store I grew up going to in Raleigh. And it was like this experiential, um, really delicious, you know, very celebratory and festive thing. And I've always loved raclette. I've like written about that experience. Um, I'm actually, you know, I'm still very like, I don't do indoor dining right now. Um, I hang out with friends outdoors or in my, my unheated porch with the door open and lots of, you know, warm clothes, but it's going to be like 50 and sunny 
this weekend here in Philly and I have some friends coming over. We're going to fix up the back porch and do raclette on the back porch because I just got the Bosca um, candle powered party clet. And I'm just I'm really excited about that. Amazing. I melty cheese is just something wonderful. But I I'm just picturing going to Quebec with the snow and the raclette and the family. And I'm like, wow, that sounds pretty. That sounds pretty magical for a holiday, yeah. a holiday. Not quite Happy an me. Alpine vibe because it's a very flat, like the <laughs> snow, the like European quality. It's <laughs> still very yeah. magical. <laughs> um. All right. Well, where can people find you? Let's go over this again. And where can they find the newsletter? Absolutely. I'm a rock Jonestown on Instagram. Um, uh, my website, if you want to read clips, learn about me, hire me, um, read some of my work, uh, et cetera, alexandrajones.net. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> if anybody wants to connect with me there, like so embarrassing, but why not? I've like started using it for freelance purposes. Um and then this, the newsletter, it's milkfed.substack.com. Check it out and let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from folks. And once again, I'll put all of that stuff in the show notes too, so people can find it there. Um, but thank you for, for hanging out with me and having this conversation. It's been really fun getting to know you a little bit more and hear about your story. Thank you so much, Shanae. It was super fun to chat with you too. Thank you, Alex, for taking the time to chat about your new venture, and I look forward to the conversation your newsletter will spurn. This podcast is recorded, produced, and edited by me, Janae Muha. Musical credits to my husband, Ben Muha. If you'd like to continue the conversation, find me on Instagram, Facebook, or Patreon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite listening platform so more, more people can find this podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to keep spreading the word of good curd.